0: How has the media begun to bombard us with fake news and do we really have true privacy online? Kia ora, I'm Rachel and this is What and Why and I am here with Jesse today. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey Rachel, thanks very much for having me.
0: Oh, pleasure. Now tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, so I'm currently working digital media. I've been working in digital marketing and digital communications for about six years now. Um, at the moment I'm working in a a big advertising agency, sort of specializing in the media component of digital marketing. But I've also got kind of quite general broad experience in digital marketing and have a kind of particular interest in um, politics. And I've been really interested to see sort of the last five years how um, data privacy and how politics have really deep dived into the use of digital marketing and digital communications.
0: Cool, that sounds really good. So we're going to cover a few topics today and the one that I want to start with is what is personal data and how is it being used? Because obviously there's all that talk online where it's like I was talking on the phone to my friend about jelly beans and all of a sudden I got an ad for jelly beans on Facebook and there's all that kind of stuff. But I imagine there's so much more to it. So what is personal data?
1: So personal data is quite a broad term, so it can mean all sorts of things. In the marketing context, we sort of think about it, often your online behaviors, what you do online. So, and it also includes the data that you enter about yourself online. So some examples of personal data might be your email address, your name, could be your date of birth, say, your ethnicity, your age, your gender, those sorts of things, just usual things about you, information about you. Um, but as you start to get a little bit deeper, that data can include things like your your browsing habits, the pages you follow on your social media channels, can include the kind of your tendencies you tend to use social media, mostly on your phone, or you tend to use it on your desktop, all that kind of encompasses personal data, and um, there's obviously in a broader sense, I guess you could think about your, say your health rate records or your insurance records, which is all information about you and personal to you, um, but we don't really pay too much attention to that in the digital, digital marketing sphere. Um, how's it used? Look, it's used in all sorts of ways, particularly in digital marketing, right? So all this data helps us become more targeted. Now, when you think about advertising, media marketing in the last say 50 years, and we are always targeting's always been a really important part of it. So say we're selling washing machines. It's no point trying to sell washing machines to an 18-year-old university student. They're probably not going to buy a brand new washing machine. You've got to target it, right? So you're probably going to put your ads in magazines of say um, you know, people who are likely to be taking care of the kids from home or what have you, so that you're targeted so that your ads are relevant to the people that see them. Now in the past, you've been able to do this, say through TV programming. You know, we know lots of people who, say, even kids' toys. say you did want to sell in kids' toys. Um, you would, you'd put those TV ads on during kids' TV shows. You wouldn't put them on at, you know, 11 p.m. at night. So there's always been an element of targeting when it comes to and to marketing as a whole. But when it comes to digital marketing, the amount of data that's available is really uh, is really crazy. It's quite a it's a whole different level. You know if you think about traditional marketing so by that i mean sort of offline so you know your tv your billboards your magazines you know we could roughly say well you know people 25 to 35 or say maybe 18 to 30 would be most likely to watch love island so if we want products to sell to them then we ought to put it on during love island right that's sort of general information not personal uh in digital marketing we could go well you have You've been to the Love Island website, you follow Love Island on Facebook, so we know you're definitely really interested in that. So we'll sell ads specifically to you. And um, these groups kind of get generalized, you know, it's not individual. We don't have a list of, say, um, phone numbers or a specific person we show ads to, these are big groups. But that data can really be collated and we can really build a big picture about someone. So we know that they follow Love Island. You know, they've entered their exact date of birth into Facebook. So say we've got their exact age. There's um there's trackers that go on most websites you go on that will link up with your Facebook page. So we can see, say most of your Facebook, um, sorry, most of your web browsing activity. So we can link that and start to build a profile about you. And then if we then pair that, so that's what we would call third party data. So that data belongs to to Facebook. That's data about you that Facebook has collected. Then we wanna pair that with say first party data. So that's data that belongs to the advertiser. So say, say the advertiser was a Clothing brand, right? They might have put data about you that says, "Oh, you last bought blue shoes," and so they could pair that. And oh, and this is your email address, so they could pair that first-party data. We know you like blue shoes, and we know your email address, and then pair that with the data, the third-party data, which is the data that Facebook is holding about you. Um, say that you like Love Island, and that you follow these particular pages, you go to these sorts of websites, and all of a sudden, you can see that we've built a much, much more detailed picture of what of who somebody is and it's much richer compared to say like i say a tv ad where it's just sort of much more broad brush so we kind of build these really specific audiences so that's that's how we begin to begin to use it in digital marketing now once you've got these audiences you can start to build out advertising around that and you can also apply machine learning you know there's some real power in ai to work out People like this tend to buy blue shoes or people who tend to buy blue shoes tend to buy orange socks and all of a sudden the machine learning starts to pick up and can automatically start to know what you're more likely to buy, what you're more likely to click on and show ads that are hyper, hyper targeted and hyper relevant to you.
0: Wow that's super confronting just sitting here I'm thinking oh my gosh how much do these people know about me that I don't even know that they know about me and in my ears I can see how you know how it's good for them and selling their products but also I'm like is there some cons to this like is it a bad thing that people know that I like blue shoes and I was born in August like are there going to be some disadvantages to that should I be concerned?
1: I guess that I guess it's a bit of a two way street, right? So now the ads that you get online in theory should be much more relevant to you. Now this isn't done perfectly. You know, often you might see the same ad dozens of times even though you've already bought the product already, right? That's an example of poorly executed digital marketing, right? It's still really in relatively early days, we're still really working out how to use this technology and when we can, and it's not perfect, right? So it does cause some issues. But on the whole, in theory, consumers are gonna see ads that are much more relevant to them, the things that they want to buy, so that it should make their online experience much more enjoyable. Now, the opposite of this, or sorry, the alternative, if you didn't have ads on Facebook, then Facebook has to make their money somehow. So it'd probably be a pay subscription model, right? Mm. And you can see that in a number of apps, where you can either have an ads option, a free ads account, or you can have a no ads premium account. So it's sort of a trade off for consumers. Do you, if you want all these sort of free apps that are out there, then they're not really free. I mean, they're free in the sense you're not paying any money, but they're not free in the sense that the exchange is that you get their service for free and they get to show you ads and they also get to collect all that data about you and then sell that data onto advertisers. So that's the I guess that's the trade off there. So the, in terms of cons, I mean, I guess you're giving up a lot of your per, your personal data, right? You're giving up all your browsing history, say so everything you do on social media, everything you message and Facebook Messenger is all used to help build a profile about you. Um, and I've really focused on Facebook, but this is relevant across you know a number of platforms, um, your TikToks, your Instagrams, even outside of social media, just web web behavior in general we tra- yeah that's generally tracked by advertisers um, what websites you go to so all that data is sort of collected um and used to build a profile about you now how could it be used i mean it's, it's hard to say right there's um at the moment it's largely used for advertising so i so i guess the the con is that well you know, you're going to have ads that, you know, might feel really personal and also they only use the ads because they work, right? So mm. you're probably going to be more likely to be, I'm not going to say conned out of your money, but you're more likely to spend <laughs> money or, or buy these things. Um, and because they're going to be quite persuasive, you know, people who often say, you know, I'm not influenced by advertising or marketing doesn't really affect me. Or you might think that internally, but the reality is there's no way that advertisers would be spending the money they do if it didn't work it definitely works and you know we're definitely affected by it
0: wow okay that's really that's really intense stuff to think about and like even like you said like your web browsing data or the tiktoks that you watch it isn't it isn't just facebook it isn't just google and so and kind of thinking on that idea like there's a there's a whole new fake news thing now and fake news being targeted at you and it's just it's an absolute bombardment so how have we gone, in your opinion, how come we used to have the knowledge readily available within media and why are we now being bombarded with fake news? Is that an advertising thing as well?
1: I think fake news kind of goes beyond advertising, right? Advertising, we're more talking about selling products and I guess there's special circumstances around fake news, which is political advertising, which we saw particularly in the 2016 um, US election and in the 2016 uh, Brexit referendum these sort of these technologies that were traditionally or have in the past been largely used for advertising for private companies to sell products and services had now really been picked up and used to the extreme with political lobbying groups and with politicians and campaigners themselves now in terms of fake news i guess it's sort of a wider internet trend than just data privacy right Mm -hmm. so in the past you know you think pre internet era right there was only a, a limited number of publishers so you know you had a few newspapers a few radio stations a few tv channels and news news shows and they were held to quite rigorous standards you know if they didn't if they provided information that was false they'd be heavily criticized possibly could be sued in court and so forth so they're held to a really really high standard and and today a lot of them still are and for the most part still are but now we've moved to this digital model, things are really beginning to change. And because these platforms are largely funded by ads, there's a lot of sort of, you know, clickbaity news out there. So if you think about, say, a typical um, online article on a say local news source, whether that's um, the NZ Herald or Stuff, are probably the two most prolific ones in New Zealand. Now, when when do they get paid? Well. If you open up a if you open up a page on their website to read a block to read one of the articles, they get paid for every ad that's shown. So the longer you or the more people that refresh the page, they get paid every time an ad is shown. So wow. they want to have they want to have articles that are more likely to get people to click through, which is why you get to this point of click baiting pages. Now, how does this play into fake news? Well, one, there's like an abundance of information available on the internet, right? So when the internet sort of first came out, it was actually about linking universities to link sort of information, knowledge sharing, um, and data sharing. And as it's progressed, more and more information has become available. But unlike what I discussed earlier, which was the whole, you know, publishers being held to a rigorous standard in an offline environment, when it comes to an online environment, just about anyone can go and set up a website. So, say you wanted to set up a, a, a fake news site, it really wouldn't be all that much work. So, you know, all you have to do is set up a set up a website. Now, for those who don't know, there's a lot of there's a lot of platforms out there that will just allow you to sort of drop and drag their really self-service tools to build a website. It's pretty simple. Wouldn't cost you more than say about hundred New Zealand dollars. You could set up a, a website in a few hours that looks like a news site and you could call this whatever you want. You could call it, you know, ABCDE news. There's no sort of verification, and if you've got real, if you've got some real kind of computer development skills, you could host this website wherever you wanted. So you could host it in a country that's not well regulated, so it's not held to those same standards. Now, on the site, you could publish whatever you want, right? You can make up stories about, and the, I mean, if we're looking at what's happening now, you can make up you know, false stories about the Black Lives Matter movement, how violent the protesters are or aren't. You can make up all sorts of stories, write them, and provided you write them in a journalistic style, they could be quite convincing. Now you've got these articles, right? So, I mean, you, you could compare that again to, say, 50 years ago, right? Like, anyone could write a book, anyone could, you know, record a, record an album or some audio, and then, and with hateful or false information in it but what didn't used to exist is the is the infrastructure to really spread that information you know so if you had some sort of fake news uh, in terms of say uh, an article you wrote you know no newspaper is going to take you seriously no one's going to put it in their newspaper but now you can sort of load it into your own website and then you can distribute that information via social media so you think of the likes of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so forth. These these platforms, you know, are based on they build algorithms to show you posts or so show you things in your feed based on how likely you are usually to click on the content or engage with it. So engage means say watch the video, like, comment, share, etc. So you're getting rewarded for things that make you click through. So so content that is really like snappy, it really catches your attention. That's what's gonna. That's what's gonna be in the, the highest point in your feed. But mm. so, what makes you click through? Well, it tends to be more outrageous things. That's why we see so many outrageous titles now. They're so inflammatory. You know, often they sound a bit ridiculous. It's so that you click through on it. And the ones that are gonna get you to click through the most, the ones that are gonna be showed up most best in your feed. Now, how does this play into fake news? Well, say we set up this fake news site we were talking about before and we integrate that with, the, with social media. If you put a really inflammatory headline on, post it on Facebook, you can often start to see that people will click on it, people will comment, share, they'll be shocked, and all of a sudden this, this sort of inflammatory, unreputable, you know, no sources behind it news gets shown up in all sorts of people's Facebook feeds. And now, unbeknownst to them, they click through to this news site. To them, the website looks totally legit, even though it might not have any clear ownership or any clear basis for it. And this sort of made-up news can get spread, and anyone can jump on and do it.
0: Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's really intense. So, you know, with these fake news stories that people write, do they get... You know, I don't know if this is the right word, but do they get marketed to you in the same way that advertising does? So you know you talked about with advertising collecting your personal data, Can these fake news sites also collect your data and sell it sell their fake stories to you?
1: Um can they collect your data? Well, they can use existing third-party data, which is what I mentioned before, right? So Mm -hmm. they could set up an advertising account inside, say, the likes of Facebook. Now, Facebook has really cracked down lately, so things have changed, but if we think back to 2016, um, they could definitely set up an account, set up an advertising account and use the data that Facebook has, right? So we know that this story uh, will be most convincing to white middle-class mothers. So we'll target white middle-class mothers on Facebook and, sp- and spread this information using Facebook's proprietary um, or Facebook's data. Now, if you want to think about the extreme cases, Cambridge Analytica, which you might have heard of.
0: Explain to me again. Yeah,
1: so Cambridge Analytica was a sort of, they, they still exist and class themselves as a political research organisation, but they were heavily involved and employed by the, Trump campaign in the twenty sixteen election and have been involved in a number of other campaigns. And and what they what they specialize in really is hyper targeted political ads. And what Cambridge Analytica did in the twenty sixteen US election, they set up a number of, say, Facebook games. You might have seen things like Farmville and so forth. So they set up a ton of these these Facebook games. And what would happen is, um, I mean, this was targeted to America, so Americans would click and play these games and you know you'd often sign up to these sorts of games or a page and you know there's a big long terms and conditions you don't really read it you skip over it and start playing the game but one of the terms and conditions was that they is that you handed to them all your facebook data so so they would um collect all of a sudden they'd know all the pages you follow your age gender where you lived your name etc and they could build a profile about you so now they've got a massive database of people now the way the us um, us electoral system is structured is that there's really only a few purple states which need to be sw- swung either way that decide the election you know states like texas are always republican states like california are always democrat and for the most part most states are sort of a fixed either you know republican democrat red or blue um, yeah, red or blue Now there's a few purple states, so they worked out okay in these purple states. Who are the people that are the most you know could go either way? So now they've got this huge database. They've got this huge database of Americans' information, and then they know from sort of historical information and sort of general information about polling. Well, who are the most likely to be swayed? So they know, say it's um, I don't I don't know exactly who it was, but say it was um, middle aged, you know, middle aged white Americans. So what they could then do is out of their massive database, they could find all the middle-aged white Americans and send them ads that would sway them one particular way and think about what matters to those individual people the most. So for you know, white middle-class Americans, it might have been um, the anti-immigration sentiment that was held by Trump in his campaign. So they could say, send all sorts of fake news or made-up political ads saying how oh, Hillary Clinton was just going to open up the borders and let anyone in, but Donald Trump had a good stance on, on immigration and think about what really matters to them. And then they could identify multiple segments. So it might be middle-aged Americans as one group. Then there might be young African-Americans, and there'll be different things that matter to them. So they'd show them ads that would you know persuade them, regardless of the veracity of the content that they're actually sharing with them. And so using this sort of personally identifiable information that they collected, via these games, they were able to be kind of hyper-targeted and swing just the right voters the right way.
0: That sounds pretty corrupt in my ears. That's all I can think. So in your opinion, do you think what Cambridge Analytica did worked? Do you think it swayed voters?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that their involvement along with the, um, you might have heard of sort of the Russian involvement in the election made a, pretty significant difference in in what was quite a tight election.
0: Yeah, so what was the Russian involvement? Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah,
1: I mean, so there hasn't been anything really definitive. Obviously, the Mueller investigation has put a number of people away for their involvement with Russia and their collusion with Russia on the Trump campaign. Um, The Russian groups did sort of similar methods to what um, Cambridge Analytica used, but they would set up sort of these Facebook pages so they might be say uh, as I mentioned before they might be um Christian Americans against immigration a Facebook page like that and they would create all sorts of memes and fake and you know made up stories and information and they just push it out and then they would really try and sow discords so they might then create a uh, you know a um feminist Americans for equality. And then they would post information that would, you know, to either group would create sort of an inflamed relationship and really, you know, kind of build these groups up together, even though that they're behind both the Facebook pages, they would sort of you know, take shots at each other, and they'd really kind of stirred up this di- the social discord. And there was even a number of protests that they organised, where they would organise both the protest and the counter pro and the sort of counter protest with two different Facebook pages.
0: Oh wow, that's really that's really corrupt. I can see that. Well, so we we hear about the disadvantages of that now, and the way they swayed these votes in a way that wasn't very kind. But are there any advantages to this kind of political stuff being all over the internet? Or is it just gonna sway you one way or another and make it really unfair?
1: Um it's an interesting question. Are there any advantages? Look, I think the way it's been used has been really unregulated mm-hmm. and really un you know, hasn't been well taken care of. And I often liken it to, you know, the invention of many new things. to so say the invention of the the motor vehicle, right? I can imagine when they first invented the motor vehicle, there wasn't driver li- licensing. They didn't know about driving while drunk. I'm sure there was no seat belts, right? They just sort of had invented this new technology but really hadn't learned how to be safe with it. And hence, you know, the high number of deaths and so forth associated with that. Um, and that can often be said for a number of inventions when they're first made. And I think the same with the internet. We've kind of invented this thing the internet but haven't really thought about how to regulate it how to manage it Mm. and how to ensure it's used safely you know i think it's pretty amazing i mean even listening to this you know this podcast is only available because of because of internet access so i mean there's some pretty amazing things you can do with the internet and it's taken you know leaps leaps and strides really brought us into the future but I think now we're getting to a point where we really need to think about how are we going to regulate it now I know a lot of those big you know Googles and Facebooks are starting to self-regulate more so they're they're trying to control um control themselves the government doesn't set too many regulations but, you know, if we look at how these platforms are being used, I mean, the most horrific was, you know, a year ago, the, the Christchurch terrorist shootings that were live streamed on Facebook. Mm. I mean, that is just, it's absolutely abhorrent, you know, that that sort of content would be allowed to be shared online. And we haven't really thought about how this is going to be used. You know, we've had plenty of time for, say, TV, you know, where everything is checked. You couldn't, you, there's no way you would ever stream, live stream a, a mass shooting on on T V it's well regulated, well you know, it's very, very strict. But online we haven't really thought about how do we regulate it, how do we be, how do we take care about what content's available? And also the line between freedom of speech and obviously, you know, you know, protecting people and protecting the content that's out there because, you know, some of it's just abhorrent.
0: So in your opinion, how how can we ensure that what we're doing online, you know, how, how do we ensure our safety? How do we ensure that, you know, data that we don't want shared isn't getting taken? How do we ensure that we aren't being swayed by p- potential target advertising and stuff? Do you have any kind of suggestions or ideas around that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two ways to look at it. So, I mean, there's what you can do on a personal level and then what we can do is on a sort of legal or you know, at a global level, you know, so there's more regulation coming in to New Zealand at the moment that'll be similar to the um, GDPR in the European Union, which really um, reduces how targeted you can get. You know, particularly for minors, so how much advertising you can show them, how targeted that advertising can be, and um, which is virtually none, um, and how you can use personally identifiable information. So that's that new legislation's coming in. Probably, hopefully, by the end of the year, um, will make my job a lot harder, but I think it'll be overall, um, in many ways, quite good for New Zealand consumers. Now, on a personal level, how can you protect? I guess you, it's always thinking twice about what you see online, right? Now, you can go crazy and set up, you know, VPNs, use Tor browser, etc., so no one can ever track what you do, if you, if you, if you're really worried about it. But that it does get to be a little bit of a you know, tinfoil hat and technology becomes really impractical to use. I think I think it's thinking about everything you do online isn't it's not private, right? When you open up a web browser, that web browser is checking what you do. You know, your ISP does see where where that traffic is going, what you're doing. So realizing that what you do on the internet isn't private and thinking about it as being Sort of a public forum even when it might seem or feel that it's private it really isn't what else can you do well i think it's also considering like when we're talking we talked previously about fake news you know really thinking twice about where has the information that you're reading been sourced from who is providing you this information is it a reputable and regulated source like is it you know Is it from um, stuff or the NZ Herald? If we're talking New Zealand context, or is it from a you know reputable source, or have you never ever heard of this news website before? Is it just a Facebook post that someone you know I've seen, even in my own family, people sharing um, information or sharing Facebook posts that just someone on Facebook has written a story and mentioned all these facts but no sort of verifiable information about it. So you need to apply some critical thinking you know don't just take what you what you read online as truth really think about it um also the technology you purchase thinking about who owns it right or who created it and what their incentives are you know fundamentally corporations are incentivized by money so if you look at um you know if we were to come here say google and Apple, right? Now Apple is a consumer brand. They make products for consumers. They don't really get they don't get any money from advertisers really apart from a few on Apple Music. So their interests are protect- protecting their technology users, the consumers. So they wanna act in their in cons their consumer's best interest, the people who own the products. Now, if you compare that to, say, Google right now, Google make money two ways. So they make money off one of the things they sell to consumers, um, which isn't a lot really, but it does include, say, the Android operating system, Google Chrome, which isn't for sale, sorry, but, say, Google phones, et cetera, that they provide to consumers. But they also make a huge amount of money off advertisers. So and advertisers benefit from, as we talked about earlier, they benefit from that data. So if you're using an Android phone, you've got to be aware that really most of your activity on your phone is going to be collected by Google to help them build a profile about you to use in advertising. Comparatively, an Apple phone is really actually quite secure. I mean, there's even been cases in the States where the FBI have tried to get into it and can't. You know, I've seen a number of the Black Lives Matter protesters saying to you know, remove the fingerprint and face ID lock because after that it's pretty well impossible to break into a phone and it's hard to collect that information. You know, so Personally, I prefer to use things like Safari browser as opposed to Google Chrome just for the fact that I know Safari is made by Apple. They don't really have any interest in selling my data compared to Google, who you know, Google Chrome, where really that's like an advertiser, advertiser owned, <laughs> advertiser owned web browser. You know, everything you do is going to be is going to be tracked. So if you if you're concerned about it, I would just think about who who owns the product that you that you're using, and um, and make a decision there.
0: My heart is racing as an Android Google user. <laughs> <laughs> I've just suddenly become quite paranoid. And, and I mean, it's
1: a trade off, right? You're just understanding what you're giving. I'm, you know, it's less worrying about. It's more important that people know what they're giving up, right? So if you know that you've got an Android phone, and hey, you know my data is going to be collected and used for advertising, and who knows what in the future, right? I mean, one of the big concerns that's often discussed is, you know, right now it's anonymized data. You know, as an av- if I, you know, as an advertiser, I don't know, I can't identify that it's you individually. I'm not trying to. I that's no use to me. I'm trying to get pools of. You know, ten thousand, twenty thousand, a million people that have sim- a similar profile to market to them, right? That kind of individual stuff about you isn't that important to me, but um, Google owns that data now. Once you once you give that over, and so what could be done with it in future? Well, you know, if we're just sort of spitballing here, could, could it be that, um, that that Google now sells to employers your your data so they could go, so you know, some a company's looking to hire someone and. Uh, that's they go to google and say hey you know we'd like to buy the um what data you have on you know jesse um just before we before we make a decision if we hire them and then google can just hand over you know all my browsing data now that i just to caveat that it's definitely not happening now and that's not legal now but it's would you just don't know how things are going to go right 10 20 30 40 years you know right now you might be like "Ah, oh, don't mind being advertised doesn't matter I don't really care if I get ads that are blue shoes in fact that's better but hey let's think about how that's going to be used in you know sort of 30 or 40 50 years from now what might change you know that data is just not owned by you it's out of your hands so just being aware that that, that all that data you hand over could be made very very public Wow,
0: thank you so much. This has been a really eye-opening experience and I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure our listeners on the other end are going to be quite taken aback but also quite informed. So thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.